Hello and welcome to the Max Communications 2020 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams and I'm joined today by Lucy Inglis, School Archivist for King's College School Wimbledon. Hi Lucy, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about how you came to be in your position? Yes, hi, thanks Faith. Um, so I started working at uh, King's in the School Archive a couple of years ago now. Um, I actually only relatively recently trained or qualified as an archivist. Um, my background is actually in art history, um, but I grew up in Wimbledon, so so I know the area well and I actually knew um, a bit about the history of the school. Um, so I'm only the second actually qualified archivist that they've had at the school and my predecessor wasn't actually here for that long. And before then the archive was managed by members of staff, generally once they'd retired, so there were people who knew the school incredibly well, but probably had a different approach to what it meant to take care of an archive. So they might research aspects of the school's history that they were particularly interested in, or they would just gather new records to be transferred to the archive by going around to colleagues and asking them for stuff. So although it was pretty well organized to, to an extent, there weren't sort of the, maybe the normal policies and procedures that you would expect to be in place if you go into a lot of archives. Um, there wasn't necessarily the kind of the collections care there and certainly there wasn't really any proper cataloging that had been done. Um, but there was an awful lot that had been kept and there you know, was an awful lot of love there and a huge amount of say research that had been carried out, which was very, very helpful. I think when you come into a role like this where it's, it's slightly different, I think, to working in a more public-facing archive. Um, that we do exist primarily, it's, it tends to be alumni who are very interested in our records or their families, if they're people who are researching family history for the school, for their use as well. Um, so I think people do expect it's not just that you're going to make the records accessible. I think that they do also want you to act as prop, you know, custodians of that history and those stories and be aware of what they are and be able to tell them. Um, so a lot of what I've been doing over the last couple of years since I've been here has really been about trying to also, as I say, just establish some sort of archival practices alongside continuing to be there as a, a point of contact um, for people who are interested in the history of the school and to introduce that history to new audiences as well to whoever they may be, whether it's just members of the public or to current pupils and staff, you know, things that they might not know about, um, about the school. So what kind of, you, you, I mean, obviously some stuff like registers and things, everyone went to school, so mm. we know roughly what kind of paperwork there is, but is there more sort of unusual things in your collection you might not expect? Well, yeah, in a way, actually, there probably aren't all the things that you might necessarily expect. Um, just to explain, so the school was founded um, in 1829 as the junior department of King's College on the Strand. Um, and it, so until 1897, the school was located in the basement, effectively, of Somerset House um, on the Strand in London. Um, and it moved to Wimbledon, say, in 1897, really because I think it wasn't viable as a London day school any longer if it didn't have outside space. I think increasingly people were expecting, parents were expecting there would be facilities for sport. So 
the headmaster convinced the council of King's College to buy this, what was effectively, it was just a very large house, domestic residence, but with a good sized garden. It had seven acres of land and it was flat land. So it could be converted for use as rugby and cricket pitches. Um, and at that date, the school was still connected to the college. And then in 1911, it became independent of King's College. And so a lot of the kind of sort of official records you might expect to find in the archive actually don't sit here. They're still with King's College in their archive. Um, we do though, yeah, have the entrance registers going back, but then those sort of stop at a certain date. So it's other than things like the governing body minutes, things like building and finance committee minutes, which we do have and they are kept somewhere secure. The rest of it is, it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's a bit ad hoc as to what's been kept by whom almost, I think more by accident than design is what's there. Um, there was also a fire at a certain point to the beginning of the 20th century and quite a lot of records, unfortunately were destroyed then. So yes, so we do have things like entrance registers. We also have, as you might expect, quite a lot of items of uniform. Um, but it's funny how a lot of the current pupils really like looking at it, especially because once upon a time, the boys used to wear straw boaters in the summer. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was even a request when sixth form people wanted to try on some of their headwear, which was fine, because we've got quite a few examples of, of various pieces. Um, we have... We've got a lot of photographs, um, mainly things like team sports teams photographs or prefects. Again, whole school photographs, got lots of those. But we do also have things, we'll have photograph albums from school trips, um, just more sort of informal photographs that were taken or of um, theatre productions, that sort of thing. Um, there are bits of chemistry equipment and I think this is mainly because uh, one of the kind of caretakers of the archive for quite a long time was a former teacher called Brian Stokes, who'd been head of chemistry. So we have different old fashioned weighing scales, which I mean, they're absolutely beautiful objects. And I would love one day to have a sort of a, a show and tell maybe at lunchtime with some of the pupils to show them what it was like in a, in a pre-digital era. Um, we have lots of press cuttings. We have books um tend to be we, tr we tr i'm trying now to keep it really just to books that either are written by alumni or former members of staff or do have you know a slightly stronger connection to the school than some of the things um that we we've inherited but we also have among the books a collection that were produced by the school in the 1950s and 60s um the school had its own art press and the books they created as part of this are truly beautiful. And I mean, they are now a lot of more collector's items um, because they just had this very talented um, art teacher there who realized that it wasn't given much time within the curriculum or much status. Um, so he just acquired these printing presses and the boys loved it. And, um, and they used it too as a way, I think by selling the books to to purchase reproductions of works of art. Because so, I think this is his idea too, that then if they could actually see good artworks, it might make them kind of appreciate art a bit more. So those are lovely. We also have got a large collection of films that were made by the school's film unit. And this was sort of at a similar time to the art press. This moment where clearly this kind of extracurricular activity was very, very strong in the school. Um, 
it was the film unit was set up by another science teacher called Jack Smith. And he, it was part of, I think, of a movement at this moment in time, just believing that it was important for children to learn these skills in television. I was just recently reading an article about it. Um, and I don't think that this organization, education, you know, film and television still necessarily exists in the same way for school-aged children. Um, so it's quite incredible, really, these films that these children produced, that they would come up, they would help devise the plot, you know, really write out quite detailed lists about um, how it was going to be shot, the camera angles, sorting out kind of the musical score that would accompany them. And in fact, one of them got funding from the British Film Institute to be made and then went on to win. I'd never heard of this, that the amateur film society or something could give out Oscars. But anyway, it won an Oscar for that. So I certainly hadn't anticipated that there'd be anything like that in the school archive. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it is quite a mixed bag. We've got programmes from a lot of former school productions. We've got lots of school lists. And as I say, we've got pretty much a full run of all the school magazines, which are probably one of the most important sources for us in terms of getting a sense of the overall history of the school, because they start in the 1870s um, and pretty much go through, apart from a few years where we don't have copies, um, to the present day. So you mentioned um, alumni and, and family mm. of alumni are accessing the collection, but who else does it? Do you do a lot of work with the current students and things like that? Um, the current students, not so much. So we do get, so in terms of inquiries that we get, yes, yeah, it is alumni and all the fa their families. We quite often just get people who are writing a book or, you know, doing some sort of research into somebody with a connection to the school, either because they taught here or they were a pupil here and they're interested in their time here. They're sort of, again, there's more of that than I had expected because Kings isn't somewhere that's got, huge number of people you know especially when you go further back who are who are particularly famous and they produced you know just went on to have very good careers and they would do well kind of as clergymen or lawyers or doctors but in terms of the pupils it's something that I'd really like to develop that they can use it as a resource and I did um some work it fortunately couldn't happen this year because of COVID but last September I found out that the year threes who I think are seven um, go every year for a visit to the National Archives and I thought wow that's amazing that seems quite young but this is great so I asked if I could go along as well and, and they very kindly said yes you can and so I then got a sense of what they were being introduced to in terms of an understanding of what an archive is how we need to take care of it what we consider to be archival documents and how we can use them you know how you might look at a photograph to try and ascertain certain information or facts or piece different things together and then I knew that they were studying the history of the school so after that visit um, I sort of got out some bits and pieces from the archive and then some some things they were allowed to handle themselves but a lot were just copies so I knew that they'd seen the um, the outside of the Great Hall which was the first building to be erected once the school moved to Wimbledon. And as I say, and it, before that, it was literally just quite a large house. Um, and so they got from that the dates um, of when I think, I think it was 1899 was when the, uh, the Great Hall 
um, was officially opened. Um, but of course, that wasn't actually when the school moved to Wimbledon. So I showed them one of the photographs we have of children basically in what was at that point a big garden with, with a big house behind them. And they looked at it and they didn't really understand what it was. And then you so, show them the next photograph where it's also then got the Great Hall. And of course, they recognise the Great Hall. So then they could see, oh, wow, that's what's missing from the first photograph. And started to piece together and understand, oh, so we know that when they first came here, there was no Great Hall. Well, we know the Great Hall was here in 1899. And then just use some other documents um, for them to be able to kind of piece together that moment of when the school moved to Wimbledon and why it moved here. Um, and it was really lovely doing with them because they got incredibly enthusiastic about it, much more so than I thought they might. Um, and they seemed to really enjoy that element of detective work, of just using the archive in that way to, to understand a little bit more about the school's past. And then we also looked at the school rules for the junior school um, from 1946, and they compared them to the sort of the code of conduct, if you like, that they would have today. And we went through with them thinking about, did they think that these rules were similar? So what's expected them today or different? And what was interesting was that I went to it was three different classes and it was three completely different responses overall as to how they, you know, their judgment, their assessment of, um, of the past and how it, how it compares to today. So I'd really like to be able to use the archive more in that way. Obviously we have a lot here about personal experiences of fighting in both the First World War and the Second World War. And I think it's a good way maybe for pupils for it to make it. I don't know, it just is a different way, isn't it? Of approaching that sort of that big history to think about it in terms of maybe slightly more relatable. You can think this person went to this school in the same way that I did and to actually be able to read some of their letters or the family's letters to the school explaining what had happened to them. And then recently the there's a blogging club and because of COVID they are interested in writing um, sort of a history of health at the school and they were asking if there was anything in the archive to do for example with Spanish flu or polio or TB. And what was fascinating in a sense was that there isn't, that going through the school magazines for that whole sort of period, 1918 to 20, and there is no mention whatsoever that there is this worldwide kind of epidemic pandemic going on. And I don't know if it's because the, the First World War was so much, had such a bigger impact on their lives, because that is still something that's being mentioned a lot. Um, I didn't have much of a chance to look at it, but I did find for them the health reports for Wimbledon that was published at that time to just get a sense to whether it was just not something that was particularly prevalent um, in this area. I don't know. Um, but I think that is one of the, it's one of the challenges of this job is to, is to make the archive more visible to the school community. Um, the current school community and make it relevant to them as a as a resource and to find ways to do that. But as you say, I think it's it's good for people to relate historical mm. events to their own lives. They kind of see that they people who went to their school and and the families the you know people like their parents they got through the Spanish flu and things like that and they still had to 
wear uniform and silly little things like that and it's a good way to engage them in primary historical sources that are also relevant to them nowadays. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it, it's difficult, I think, sometimes when you're someone who's interested in history to constantly remind yourself, not everyone is. Um, but I do, I, it's one aspect of history that I do find really interesting is this, a lot of stuff changes, but certain things don't change that much. Mm-hmm. And, and you say, and to understand that and in a way that I do think if it's, if it feels more connected to you and your own lived experience as well, that maybe that makes it more real than if you're just reading something in a textbook or someone else telling you that all these sources that seem quite separate to you and your life. Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that sounds but, really interesting. Yeah. What would you say the challenges you have working at this, this school archive in particular? Um, I mean, I think the biggest challenge in a way that I have is a lack of time. I'm only here three days a week. I was, uh, that's only quite recent. I've gone to three, I was here two days a week. And it's trying to get that balance between making sure to say that, that the material is, is properly cared for, that it is repackaged properly. I mean, it's it survived a lot of it this long, but it is, some of it is quite fragile because they're old documents. So making sure I keep on top of that keep on top of the cataloging so that we actually, I know what we've got, because in a sense you can't use it and you can't really help people in inquiries if you don't know what's there. Um, making sure, I think a big challenge is that we, there are processes in place so that the records that are being created now by the school are transferred across to the archive. It's, the school's a very different place now to it when it was, as I say, when you had teachers taking care of the archive, but the teaching staff is so much bigger. Um, we don't have sort of like a central record space, even just for the administrative records, you have to go to various different people depending on which meeting minutes you want. Um, And so I think it is just really, really important that we get something in place so that everybody knows this is what needs to end up in the archive to be preserved permanently. And part of that is goes hand in hand with this challenge of just sort of making the archive more visible. And, um, And that is starting to happen. But when you, you know, you've got to realise that at a school, their primary function is not preserving records. It's educating children. It's getting them through this system. It's somewhere, you know, this school is very academic. Um, It also has an awful lot going on in terms of its extracurricular activities. And staff are very busy. And I'm always mindful, to be honest with you, whatever context, I think, when essentially what you're doing is asking people to have, quite good records management skills to, to, you know, to comply with retention schedules, whatever it might be. That's quite a big ask, actually. And you do need to make systems as easy as possible for people to follow and to go along with. So it's trying, as I say, to balance all that stuff that I really think needs to be in place with also trying to make sure that it has a life, you see what I mean, and that it gets used and that it means something to people because there's also that aspect of why are we keeping all this stuff unless you find ways in which to engage people with it. Um, So it's trying to develop more of an online presence for people who can't visit, or as I say, to to develop projects with pupils, um, which I hope they would just find interesting so that it goes beyond just, they might learn something more about the history of the school or broader, um, you know, social, cultural, political history, 
that they might also gain certain skills, you know, whether that's because they do a research project with me and it's, it's understanding how to use archive, archival sources or an oral history project. So they're learning just interview techniques as much as anything else. There's stuff that I'd like to do around the film collection that we have, say these films that were made in the 50s and 60s. Um, and again, that doesn't need to really be that you've got any interest in the past or in history. That's about can you creatively work with these older films to somehow make them engaging the current audiences. Um, so I think that's it. Is It's really just how do you manage to do all of it when it's one person three days a week? other than just being patient, I think, and accepting that it will, it will take a bit of time to get there and that it, you know, it does, you do every, you know, you look back and you think, wow, you know, 12 months ago, this wasn't in place and that wasn't, and we are there now. So it's just a matter of um, just keep going, I suppose. There was one item in the collection um, you could choose to highlight. What would it be? What's your favorite? Uh, I'm never very good at favourites when it comes to anything because seriously, one of the things that I love most about working in archives is I genuinely believe that almost everything has an appeal to somebody. And it can be, you know, it could have a significance for 10 different people in 10 different ways. You know, whether someone would just find it fascinating because of the information it contains or someone else, it might be the typography. So... I really do. I, I love it. I love all of it. I just think that you'll just come across unexpected items the whole time. I'm just accessioning some material that was deposited with us from someone who was here in sort of the 40s and 50s. And there was a letter sent home from the school to parents, basically trying to give them some advice on how to manage that period where, where the boys enter puberty. And it's just, it's just kind of fascinating the way that it gives you an insight to the language that was used and, you know, the attitudes of, of that period of time. Um, but also say I do have, I have an art background, so I love the art press design work. I think that is incredibly beautiful. But then I have, a, I don't know why, but I really love menu cards. There's something to me that's totally wonderful about seeing that shift that happens around food and drinks at formal events and what that kind of, you know, has just says about, I think, a lot of ways, but Britain and England and how our, our food has, has come on. I think I found one the other day. It can't have been a sherry and melon party, but it was something like that. And you just think to yourself, seriously, that was your idea of throwing a great party just to have sherry and some melon balls um but it really would be in terms of if, if there's only one thing that i could have in this archive i mean it, it is the school magazines just because they are such a rich resource not only in terms of revealing what it was like well giving a glimpse possibly into what it was like to to be here over the years but also they will give hints as I say to that sort of that wider social history you know going back to thinking about the second world war and it's not just about when it started and people going off and fighting and it was even the lead up to it in the 30s because they always had an annual trip to Germany and seeing that change mm -hmm. and them going there and noticing the differences in Germany and then it gets to the point in July 38 where they can't go mm 
because the political situation is such that it's just deemed it's too unstable. Um, and lots of things like that, or there might be a sort of a, a commentary or they'll get a guest speaker or those sorts of things that I think make you realize that again, with most archives, yes, primarily they're telling you about the history potentially of that organization um, or personal, you know, whatever that archive relates to, but they do also always connect outwards and they'll tell you something about just the context in which those records were produced um, and something, you know, broader in terms of that sort of social history, which I think is, is possibly what I am most interested in. Sorry, I, that was a terrible answer to your question, wasn't it? Because it's like I'm basically saying, I like all of it. <laughs> no, I think if I, when I think back to my school, I, you're right, I do really like the school chronicles, kind of seeing teenagers past and things like that is really interesting and again it goes back to what you're saying it's about relating to people who have come before you yeah and I think that's it really is that although it's I find it amazing in a way how this school the site so the physical site has developed over the years and so when you start and it's it's just a house and a big garden to the to how it is now um it's even that I think I find more interesting. No, I mean, it's not like it's, it's not the architecture that's particularly interesting about that. I think it just tells you an awful lot about the, the finances of the school at certain moments in time, what was expected. And does that have an impact as well on how people, people, you know, treat the school almost or behave there, their perception of it because of does the built environment have that kind of impact on us? I think for me, it does tend to always come back to people people's stories I think that's often what's so great about archives is that that's what we're doing aren't they we it's often said of them they are they are our kind of collective memory and collective identity and that's so much of what it's about it's about actual individuals being here and navigating being at the school and and it's one of the things I really treasure about my job here my role here is that there are you know there are people who we're here sort of in the 50s and 60s who still feel very connected to their childhood to their days here and the school has understandably and perfectly naturally changed since that time and the archive is this one place where their version of the school still can remain you see what i mean yeah um and and it's really nice because they know that there is somebody here who's making sure that all of that stuff, everything they did, how Kings operated then, the teaching stuff, all of it, it will all be recorded and remembered somewhere. Yeah. Um, it sounds like uh, an absolutely charming archive. I think it's, it's great that the school has taken the initiative to have that resource. And I really hope you manage to get the kids more involved in it and things like that. You, as you say, it teaches them interdisciplinary skills and things like that. So yeah, I think it's great work. It sounds like what you're doing and all the photographs and it sounds like an advanced school. You're always looking to do new things. Um, yeah, I should probably just try and rein it in a bit. <laughs> just stick to doing the cataloging. Um, but no, it is, it's exciting. I mean, everywhere does. That's the thing. I think any archivist you talk to would say there is so much scope to do stuff with their collections. 
it's just it always it takes time it takes resource um and it's just trying as i say to get to get that balance right between knowing that you know one of your primary functions is to take care of the collection um but also to think in new and kind of slightly maybe more creative ways about about how you can use things so that it does go beyond simply being a resource that's there for people doing quite specific research yeah well great work it sounds like it's your enthusiasm is paying off dividends thank you so much for speaking to us today lucy it's been a real delight it's my pleasure thank you for inviting me <laughs> of course all right cheers, cheers.